Hey everybody, welcome to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast. My name is Todd Lesher, and today I'm going to share a quick intro before we listen to our podcast with David Chadwick on the best gift you can give your kids. And this is the Merry Christmas episode. Even though we have one coming in a couple weeks, we want to take a moment to wish you a Merry Christmas and tell you about an exciting resource that we are sharing with all our Forest Hillers and beyond, and that is an Advent devotional. Now, if you're familiar or unfamiliar with the idea of Advent, it basically is the idea around Jesus's birth, so the coming of our Savior to this earth. And so over the next four weeks, up until Christmas time, we're going to release weekly devotionals for you to read, but you also can share these with your family, whether that's around the dinner table or in a conversation with your son or daughter. It's a great way for you to capture the moment about what Christmas is all about. So please check this out at forestill.org slash Advent, or you'll receive a weekly email the first Monday of every week throughout this month from David Chadwick that you can use as well. Again, that site is forestill.org slash Advent. We would love for you to follow along. Have a Merry Christmas. You're listening to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority of their families. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Todd Lesher. It's good to be back with you again. We have our senior pastor, David Chadwick, back on the podcast. David, it's good to have you again. Thank you, Todd. Great to be with you again. Yeah, well, we're going to continue our Davidism series, <laughs> and so we're going to unpack. I guess in, in over three decades of ministry, we've got a I'm lot of material. Davidisms <laughs> or whatever they're called. Yes, and we're happy to be able to share them because a lot of them apply to parenting or to marriage and family and everything like that. So we're going to talk about another one of those that applies specifically to marriage and the overflow into family and the, the major way that those two are really uh, con connected in so many ways and cannot be separated. And so today, the Davidism is the best gift you can give your kids is to love their mom or to love their dad. And so where did that come from? Yeah, it came from the night before my wedding. Uh, I was with my own dad, and everyone probably needs to know that my mom and dad were married for 63 years. Um, I saw my dad care for my mom in the last years of her life in a very demented state mm -hmm. of Alzheimer's. And yet he continued to love her, nurture her, care for her. So it was a profound witness for me as yeah. I watched him do that. And my wife and I are now approaching almost four decades of yeah. marriage, and I plan on making it to 63 should the Lord keep me around for that long and her as well. So I was with my dad the night before my wedding, and I said to him, Dad, you know, if God should be so good as to give Marilyn to me children, can you give me one specific piece of parenting, fathering advice? And I'll never forget, Todd, he looked at me and said, yeah, the greatest gift you can give your kids is to love their mother. Yeah. So that's where it came from. And, and of course, Marilyn would say the best gift she could give to yep. the kids would be love their father. Uh, we just believe the best mm -hmm. for God's gift of raising children in the healthiest environment is a man and a woman who really love each other, are committed to one another in covenant relationship. Notice I said covenant, not yeah. a contract, right. because a contract can be broken. For me, a covenant means the back door is locked from the outside. Yeah. But that means as the door is locked from the outside, we find ways to really love each other mm -hmm. and care for one another. And in that environment, kids feel safe. Yeah. You know, I remember one time, Marilyn, had a little bit of a tiff and we were sitting on the couch a little bit separated from one another. And one of our kids at a young age came mm. and sat between us and took her hand, took my hand, yeah. and in his lap 
put our hands together. Yeah. And it was a clear statement. We want you guys to be okay because when you're not okay, we're not okay. Yeah, so again, seriously. the best gift you can give your kids is to love your, your parent, love your uh, spouse. Yeah, that's a perfect symbolic representation that your child uh, exhibited right there to capture kind of the, the picture behind this Davidism. So why is this so important now more than ever? Well, I think because marriage is under assault, mm. uh, we, we have so many marriages that are breaking up, uh, especially in non-Christian homes, but it's beginning to seep into the church as yeah. well. And people are looking for all kinds of excuses to get out of marriage. Um, I don't feel like I love the person anymore as one mm. of the best. And one another that is coming about in more frequency right now is, well, I feel like I've been emotionally abused. And, and I don't want to minimize, Todd, the people who've been through really tough, abusive situations. And right. you know, through the years, I've always counseled, if you're in one of those that certainly is physical, you need to at least separate yeah. and get some seasons of rest so that you don't have to go through that. And it could be that that's what causes the marriage to die. I right. hate it, but it does happen sometimes. But, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people today are using the normal tiffs and difficult of two very selfish people in a marriage bumping against one another. And they're finally saying, well, I don't like all that you say to me, so I must be emotionally abused and I'm yeah, out of here. Yeah. And we're just seeing that happen a lot. We've got to learn how to close the door from the outside, right. lock it firmly, but then learn how to love within that. And, and I think if we can learn how to love and learn how to serve and see that marriage's purpose is not only for the health of a nation in a family relationship, but also to teach individuals in that marriage mm -hmm. how to be less selfish. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know, as well as I, that marriage is the 401 level education yep. on servanthood. I yep. mean, it really does teach servanthood at a level like nothing else. So it teaches two individuals in that relationship how to model Jesus, Mark 10, 45, mm -hmm. for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Yeah. And so as you do that and you live as God intended in that marriage relationship and you worship together and serve together and love together and pray together and read the Bible together, the divorce rate statistically Statistically, mm -hmm. is one out of over 3,000. Yeah. So we need to keep marriages together for the health of our nation, for the health of the individuals in the marriage, and especially for the health of the children. They mm -hmm. just want mom and dad to be okay. And, and we can't minimize the fact that divorce really does traumatize kids at some level. Can they recover? Can they still be okay? Yes, of course. But we need to recognize that. And for people who are listening to this, who have been through a divorce or single parents, you can still give your kids grace, love, mercy, and kindness. Yeah. Share the realities of what caused your divorce. I hope that maybe it was your partner who left you mm -hmm. and you can say, I didn't want it to happen, right. but model for your kids the ability to receive grace from the Lord so that they can then move into their marriages and give their partners grace when they need them as well. Yeah, absolutely. Speak, speak to our single parents who may listen to this podcast. Um, they're not necessarily able to give their child this gift to love their spouse in this way. So what can they do specifically to give their child a gift in that way. Well, please, if you're listening in that particular life situation, know that I have a compassionate heart for you, yeah, a tenderness. I, I, I try to preach what I think is God's truth and what his best is, and yet I realize it's a terribly fallen world. And in so many different ways in life, we don't live up to what God desires, marriage being one of those. So I would say to any single parent listening right now, first of all, know that divorce is not the unpardonable sin, mm -hmm. that God hates divorce and what it does, but he does not hate divorcees. Right. Grace is given to you. Receive that grace. And then secondly, for your kids, model a deep, personal, living, dynamic relationship with the God 
of the mm. universe through Jesus Christ. Let your kids see that you really love Jesus. Let them see you worship. Let them see you read the Bible. Let them see you pray. And, and I think this is another Davidism we'll get mm. to in the future, but faith is more caught than taught. Yep. It really is. So let them see you really love the Lord. Model for them a deep abiding faith. Yeah. And then continue to give to them the graces and mercies that only God can give mm. through a parent. And, and when it's appropriate, you can share why the marriage didn't work. I think parents need to be very open in those ways. Don't hide it. The kids know something happened. So yeah. share it as best as possible. Own up to your mistakes. Share the forgiveness of grace that's been given to you. And then model that for them that, again, when they get into their marriages, they'll know that when they bump with their spouses, and they most certainly will, they can model grace, mercy, and kindness that you've given to your children. Mm. So those would be the two no, that's suggestions. Yeah. Love God with all your heart, then love your kids with all your heart. And I just think somehow grace will abound Absolutely. to them and give them what they need. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the phrase the best gift you can give your kids is to love their mom or to love their dad, to love your spouse. Can you break down the word love? Because you alluded to it a little bit that love is not just an emotion. Love is not just a feeling. I know one of our you know favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, has kind of broken that down in mere Christianity when he talked about love. But can you expound upon that? Yeah, if I can use Lewis's categories, yeah. uh, I think there are four categories of love. Uh, he had uh, The Greeks have four words for love. We in the English language only have one right. and can mean anything from a committed wedding vow to in the backseat of a car with right. two teens trying to you know, <laughs> right. make out right. furiously. I mean, and unfortunately, that love that God has for us is not... Um, adequately expressed in our language. But I think the Greek language does adequately express it. So the four words are, first of all, uh, storge, uh, which interestingly is family love. It's mm. what we feel for our moms and dads, right. brothers and sisters, cousins and aunts. It's a real kind of love. It's different from all other loves. And it needs to be there in a relationship mm. uh, because you do marry your in-laws, Todd. <laughs> you really do marry your in-laws. And yes, even though they may this. live far away or they may even be deceased, yeah. you marry your in-laws who are living their lives out through your spouse who was right. raised in that home. Yep. So you, you need to understand family love. It's, it needs to be there. You know, you need to love your spouse's mom and dad and their grandmoms and dads and grandpet dads just because the family system is a part of who they are. Mm -hmm. uh, the second love is, uh, interestingly, eros, mm -hmm. uh, the word from which we get erotic. It's right. physical love. Yeah. Um, I remember when I met Marilyn and fell in love with her, one of my seminary profs asked me, immediately, well, is there any fizz in the physical? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and I said, there sure is. Yeah. And there needs to be some fizz in the physical. You know, there needs to be that physical attraction, that, yeah. that sexual attraction. That's how the species continues to be. Mm -hmm. So th there needs to be that. It needs to be developed, nurtured, maintained. Uh, you need to romance your spouse. You need to have weekly times together. I think uh, mm -hmm. date nights where you grow in that romantic right. relationship, you need to get away from the kids and mm -hmm. have those alone times where yeah. that can be developed. So eros is important. Yeah. The third word is philea. Uh, it means friendship love. Mm. Um, it's the kind of love you have toward your best friend in all the world. Mm. And I think your spouse should be your best friend. Yeah. You know, we've talked a little bit about that already. It's, it's easy to leave your spouse. It's difficult to leave right. your right. best friend. That's yet another Davidism yeah. we can talk about. But, you know, you need to spend that time with your spouse. And as kids spell love, T-I-M-E, so does your spouse.
house. Mm. They, they spell love, T-I-M-E-C. You need to write in your calendar those times to continue to develop that friendship love where you're sharing your heart, yeah. uh, where you're praying for one another, where you're just walking with one another. Um, so that's another important aspect mm. of love. But the fourth word for the Greeks, agape, was a love that the Greeks did not think was attainable mm. by humans. It was only something the gods could give. Wow. So only the gods in the Greek mythological godhead would be able to love with agape. But along come these crazy Christians and Jesus himself (laughs) and uses that word to describe the love of the Father for all people. And what agape means is total unconditional acceptance Mm. of the other person just the way he or she is. It's looking at their flaws, looking at their foibles, looking at their inadequacies and saying, I love you anyway. Mm. And it's pouring out that unconditional love upon another person that gives life change like nothing else. Yeah. Uh, Jesus said, as I have loved you, John 13, 34, now love one another. What's the word he uses? Agape. Yeah. Uh, as I have loved you with an unconditional love that took all of your sins upon mm. the cross, upon myself, and forgives you of your sins, even though you were rebels and enemies against me. Uh, so now I want you to love one another with that same kind of love. So Todd, if we really love one another rightly in a godly, Christ-centered marriage, We will have family love and the family systems that expands out of a marriage. We will have phileo love. We'll have that friendship love, you know, that exists between two best friends. We'll have eros love, the physical attraction that's there, the romantic love that needs to be there. But mostly we'll have agape. We'll have two people unconditionally loving one another the way Jesus has unconditionally loved Mm -hmm. them. And I think that's what melts two hearts together and what allowed Jesus to say what God has joined together parenthesis through agape love, no person can ever separate. Yeah. And that's kind of the idea behind this podcast is is to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus, the priority of their family, but even their own lives, because out of the overflow of the heart, right, is we live and we treat one another. So as we understand and kind of grow, and that growth is a process, that understanding of God's agape love in Christ, as it fills us, it should overflow, first of all, into our marriages and then into our children and our parenting and then on into our neighborhoods and everything like that. Yeah, you know, another Davidism, I'll go ahead and state it now, and you know, it is uh, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. I've said that for so many times throughout the years. The relationship we have with Jesus should begin in the heart. And out of the wellspring of the heart contains everything in our lives, uh, the proverb says. So if we are filled with Jesus, agape love, it should just start spilling over first to our spouse, then to our children, and then to the world. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's talk about a healthy marriage because you you, you kind of breeze through a couple components there. But can you expound upon what does a healthy marriage look like because, and we were talking about this before we started recording, Unfortunately, marriage gets a bad rap for some reason, but marriage is a beautiful thing. And I don't ever want anyone to feel negative about marriage, the marriage that they're in or that to enter into marriage because it has a negative connotation. It does not. It is a beautiful creation of God. So just give us some aspects of a healthy marriage. Yeah. Well, it was God's idea. We yep. need to begin there. Uh, he's the one who made it, and he realized that when there are healthy marriages, again, a nation is healthier, right. and the foundation of a nation's health is involved within that family relationship by a committed man and woman in the marriage relationship. And interestingly, in Genesis 2.24, you have the outline of marriage that a man shall leave his mother and father, as right. will a wife, and the two will cleave unto one another, and they'll become one flesh. It's interesting 
Todd, this can be another whole message, but I think God gives the order for how he wants marriage to occur, that the man and woman leave their own families. They come into one another. They make public vows at a wedding service. They make covenant promises to one another rooted in God's immutable covenant with us that he'll yeah. never leave us. We'll never leave one another. We make those extraordinary statements that, right. you know, for better, for worse, richer, poor, sickness and health, as long as I live, forsaking all others, I'm going to be yours. Mm-hmm. And then finally, the third part of that is the uh, one fleshness that comes in a marriage, and that's the sexual union. So yeah. you see God's order really from the very beginning that you leave and then you make a public vow, you cleave, and then you have the sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not a very popular idea right. today. Uh, we've got it all mixed up in our culture, but I continue to ask people if we just did it God's way, mm-hmm. how many social ills would go away? Yeah. In one generation, the list is numerous. Um, yeah. So you have marriage in the beginning, in creation, before the fall, and then interestingly, at the end, you have the wedding feast of the Lamb, a right. marriage between Jesus and his church. After he comes back again and takes his church home, there's a wedding feast. So the Bible begins and ends with a marriage. It must be important in God's eyes. So what is a healthy marriage? Well, it is, first of all, recognizing God made the marriage. Mm -hmm. Then secondly, I make a covenant with my spouse. And a covenant, again, is not a contract. Mm -hmm. A contract has rules and regulations that if broken, I can get out of it. That's not a covenant. A covenant says backdoor lock from the outside. Then it's a loving marriage where two people really do express and live out agape love principally in that marriage. It is a marriage then that is fruitful and multiplies, wants and invites children into that marriage, sees children as the highest gift Mm -hmm. that God could possibly give us, more important than jobs, more important than success. We refuse to fall prey to the performance mindset that says, my identity is found in what I do. No, my identity is found in who I am in Christ. And one of the greatest gifts I can do is pass on that identity to my children, Mm -hmm. who then will pass it on to their children, which makes a healthy society and a healthy nation. And then I would say a healthy marriage is also one that serves Mm. uh, not only within the family relationship where you teach mom and dad to serve one another and for kids to serve mom and dad and serve one another and mom and dad to serve the kids in a way, but outside to care for the poor, the oppressed, the disenfranchised, the needy, the hungry, the helpless, the hopeless. And as you give your life away, then God just pours more hope and more love within that family relationship. So I think that's a healthy family that has right Mm -hmm. boundaries filled with love, but that love overflows throughout the entire family, especially to the poor and the needy. No, that's really great. One, one way that I've heard it summarized is kind of in, in numerically in priority, you put God first, you put your spouse second, you put your children third, others fourth, and yourself last yeah. or fifth, you know, I, I like that that. selfless it, it, model. Someone said joy is Jesus first, others, yeah. oh, yourself. and then why yourself. Yeah. So it's the same idea. What a great yeah, whatever idea. Whatever helps kind of em- embrace that yeah. prioritization. But we, we don't like that in America, yeah. especially yeah. we live in a self-aggrandized society, in, very individualistic, self-promotional. Uh, we want our own success to be above all else. And it just goes against the idea of I came to serve, not yeah. be served. Well, one thing we were talking about when you mentioned the covenant, the covenant of marriage, again, it can have a negative connotation to some people. But when we think of agape love, this unconditional covenant is agape love. It's an expression of agape love. It's a great point. Is for better, for worse. Mm -hmm. My love is constant for you. I will not give up on you. I remember asking dad one time in the middle of mom's dementia, dad, don't you sometimes just kind of wish you had another partner you could talk with and be Mm -hmm. with and... 
And he looked at me like I was from outer space. And he said, I'll tell you, son. And when he gets that deep yeah. voice, I knew he was yeah. serious. I tell you, son, you know, that I made a covenant vow. That was the term he used, yeah. a covenant vow. And I said, for better or worse, this is worse. Mm. I said, sickness or health, this is sickness. Yeah. And I said, forsaking all others. And I have decided to forsake all others. She is the wife of my life. Yeah. And he remained faithful to her till the end. Yeah. It was, a, again, a powerful witness to me about the meaning of covenant. Because God doesn't desert us right. the moment we're faithless. Yep. He remains faithful to the end because of agape. Yeah. You know, when he seals the Holy Spirit in our hearts, it is a forever gift. And yep. that love is immutable. It is irrevocable. And I find myself wallowing in it daily and thank God for it. And when yep. a husband and wife both know that it brings them together again, let me say it, what God has joined together, yep. no human being can ever separate that kind of marriage relationship. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's really mind blowing to think about if God did not operate out of agape love, the covenant wouldn't even started. Mm. with us. We, we, you know, as well, Todd, one of the reasons I believe in the Trinity, the triune God, one God in three persons that, you know, some critics say, oh, you Christians are crazy. You worship three gods. Mm. No, we worship one God in three persons, a mystery for sure, yeah. clearly taught in the Bible. But agape love doesn't really make sense unless there are three persons in the Godhead. Mm -hmm. If God is love, love has to have an object. Yeah. So the object is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all mm. loving one another. The reason God created you and me was to enter into that love. Yeah. God is love. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. Yeah, and he wants us in that relationship with him. You alluded to your book and the story that you tell uh, about your, your question that you asked your dad. I've been reading My Father, My Friend uh, uh, over the past couple of weeks, and that story, uh, you captured the emotion of that story in just a few pages, and it's really good. So I encourage our listeners to go get that book. It's in our bookstore at the South Park campus. But a couple phrases that apply to this Davidism here that I'd love for you to elaborate on. And one, one you've mentioned already is you, you can leave your spouse, but you'll never leave your best friend. W what does that mean, and how have you applied it? Well, friendship is the filet I love that uh, the Greeks used as a part of uh, the love language. And I just think that when you have a deep, meaningful friendship with your spouse, it's a game changer. Yeah. You know, when I have some time free, I don't want to go play golf. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. want to go play tennis. As much as I love sports, I'm a former athlete. I want to be with Marilyn. Yeah. I just want to spend time with her. And the deeper that relationship becomes because of all the time we spend together, uh, the closer we become as friends and the impossibility of ever separating is a reality. Yeah. In another book I wrote, uh, Todd, on marriage, called The Eight Great Ways to Honor Your Wife, I talk about how foolish divorce is because it separates the collection of memories mm. between two right, close right. friends. And when your spouse is your close friend, you have all of this body of stories and memories together. So when you're together, people ask me uh, all the time, what do you and Marilyn talk about? I go, <laughs> yeah. anything and everything. But yeah. especially we love to look back and remember together. Yeah. But if I ever left her, poof. Right. Those memories are all gone. Mm -hmm. So that friendship, along with agape, yep. serves as the foundation of our life together. And, you know, I, I could leave a wife, you know, somebody that I was kind of casually attached to and maybe wasn't that faithful to or didn't spend that much time with. Right. But I could never leave Marilyn. She's my best friend. Yeah. I mean, she's the one I want to spend time with. Why would I ever do that? Right, right. Well, you made a, a really... It, convicting comment in there about you could go and sp spend time playing golf, which is totally fine, enjoy a hobby, but how often do we become best friends with... <laughs> 
an inanimate object or an inanimate hobby, and we leave the one who we've made this covenant to. And so there is a balance there. And some spouses have found that they both can go and play golf, and they, you know, foster that friendship together. But sometimes we will have to make a sacrifice to foster that friendship with our spouse. Yeah, well, having fun things to do together, like playing golf together, if you both enjoy that, that's fine. I get that. Absolutely. Going your separate ways with your Mm -hmm. own hobbies, I'm not sure that's as enjoyable as being able to spend that time together. Um, And I couldn't agree more with you, Todd. It, It is just the glory that holds the relationship together and we just love to spend time together we love to travel together we Mm -hmm. love to experience new things together we love to go on mission trips together we just love being together and again it forms those collective memories that are a glue to hold the relationship together yep the second thing i'd love for you to share is a story uh, that you tell uh in in the context of a of it sounded around uh, like it took place around the dinner table but the phrase that came out of your dad's mouth was, that's the woman I love you're talking to. Can you tell the story behind <laughs> sure. this phrase? It's so great. Yeah. My mom was the consummate cook. She was the Southern lady who would spend several hours in the kitchen to make sure that our meals were impeccable. Yep. And after Sunday worship, we would go home and we'd have one of those family meals around the table where anything and everything possibly cooked in the refrigerator was cooked. And it was one kind of sumptuous meal. Yeah. Well, around the dinner table, my brother Howard, who's five years older than Mm -hmm. I was, and at that point was probably in his late teens, maybe early 20s. He's a tease and a great guy. I love Mm -hmm. him dearly, but he started teasing mom. And he crossed the barrier. Mm -hmm. You know, that that line where it was inappropriate and he was saying some things he shouldn't have said. And my dad took his napkin and (laughs) slammed it on the table. He turned to my brother Howard and the whole table froze because we didn't see dad angry that often. But when he did get angry, it caused us to pay attention. And he looked at my brother Howard and he said, I'll tell you, that's the woman I love you're talking about. Yeah. And more silence. And then Howard bowed his head and said, sorry, I crossed the line. Mm -hmm. But it was my dad's way of protecting my mom. Absolutely. He did not want her to be insulted, first of all, in front of everybody. But secondly, just generally insulted at all. He would not tolerate us talking poorly about our mom. It was a way of him expressing love to her because she felt safe then in the relationship. It was a powerful moment that as a young teen, I'll never forget. Yeah, I think I think this is huge for for marriage and for the family dynamic to more is caught than taught. This speaks volumes to our kids. So how can mom, how can dad uh, dignify and defend their spouse before their children? Well, I think the first way is by always speaking positively about your spouse in the presence of your kids. Exalt him or her. Um, Always make sure that the kids hear you telling each other how much you love and respect each other. As a side note, Todd, then I would say to husbands and wives, make sure you don't demean the other publicly Mm. in any other kind of context when you're with your friends or other associates. Make sure you always speak well of the other in those settings as well. Well, but especially before your children. And then secondly, I think the dad is called to be the guardian of the mm-hmm. home. I mean, the God has called him to be the spiritual leader. And whatever that means, it does mean that he protects his beloved spouse. And that does not suggest she's the weaker sex and she does not have mm-hmm. the ability to defend 
herself. Sure. I just think the husband is called to do that, especially in front of the children, and causes there to be felt a spiritual strength and a protection, not only of her, mm. but of the entire family. So always speak well of one another. And secondly, when there's anything spoken ill of the other, especially with husband toward wife, you protect her. You make sure that everybody around you knows that she is valued, important, and you will do anything to protect her sense of integrity and worth. Yeah. One way I've heard you phrase it before is uh, that the dad or the spouse is like a gardener and a guardian. Yes. Those two phrases I use in the book I wrote about the the eight great ways to honor your spouse. And one of the chapters devoted to that, husbands be a guardian and a gardener. Well, the first one's guarding, which we just talked about. You you guard the home. And, And Todd... This suggests that there's an enemy out there Mm -hmm. who wants to kill, steal, and destroy all marriage relationships. So the husband intentionally looks like a watchman on the walls of a city on the horizon for anything. that's trying to creep into the family that could destroy it. I mean, that means he watches the television for commercials or programs that could be negatively influencing children's eyes, especially young eyes. Uh, He's also watching what they're watching on the computer. He's also monitoring what they're reading. He's involved. He knows what's happening. But also he's the gardener. And I love that phrase because what what does a gardener do? He throws nutrients Mm -hmm. into the soil of the garden to help the plants grow into healthy plants. So not only is he guarding in a defensive posture, he's a gardener in an offensive posture, making sure that the right nutrients of spiritual life, unconditional love, prayer, the word, worship, serving others, especially the poor, those kind of nutrients are served into the family. And then when children are in that kind of environment, as plants are in a healthy greenhouse, they will naturally grow to healthy plants. So will children if they are in a healthy home where mom and dad love and respect one another. And then there are these kind of spiritual nutrients planted in their hearts. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Kids will most likely, in most every situation, choose not to rebel and will grow into healthy followers of Jesus. I really believe that. I love that because the the whole idea of bringing out the best in your family. Like one thing that pops in my mind is is my wife. She is an early childhood uh, education. Uh, She has a, a degree in that. And... She worked for a little while, and then when we started having kids, she stayed at home, but she had to get back to teaching. It's a sweet spot for her, and she's a blessing to the families of the children that she teaches, but she's a blessing to those children, too. So she works part-time, but in that way, I I felt like a gardener of going, you have got to use this skill. Yeah, you're going to do it with our children that we have, but you need to get out there and do that. So we were able to arrange our home in that way and our schedule to make that work, but it allowed me to act as a gardener for her to to use those gifts. So we made space for her to do that. Good for you. And, and I would say not only did you do the right thing, that's exactly what I did with Marilyn. She wanted to be with the kids, especially in those early days. Might mention here, too, the importance when the children are in utero, mm-hmm. when they're in the womb, to pray for them, yeah. to sing praise songs over them, yeah. to say how welcome they are in the home, because I just think they can hear your voice sure. even in the womb. But then also, especially during those early years, those formative years, Marilyn really wanted to be with those kids. But she's a wonderfully gifted person, an yeah. incredible teacher, 
So I encouraged her similarly to go back and get a master's degree in counseling. Mm-hmm. I encouraged her to write. She got involved with the Crisis Pregnancy Center because yep. that was a real heartbeat for hers to help children, uh, to help mothers caught in the quagmire of problem pregnancies. And so she was a full-time mother in most ways, but also used her gifts in other ways. Yeah. And I was the one who encouraged her to do that. She wanted me to encourage her to do that. And that set her free to be the person God created her yeah. to be as well. Yeah. So what you did with Abby is exactly what I did with Marilyn. Yeah. Well, fortunately, God gave me perspective. Moms make a lot of sacrifices for the home. So I just needed to go, what, what can I do to get Abby and back in her sweet spot. But but you know as doing. well as I, when, when Abby is happy and operating yep. in the fullness of her life, she's then a better mother. Right. <laughs> she's right. a better right. wife. Yep. Uh, so wouldn't that be what you would want? Yeah, yeah. So that's a good takeaway here is it, dads specifically in, in the home, you are a guardian and a gardener. I think mom can do that in some ways as well uh, as, they, as they share those and understand those roles there. Well, can you give us a final encouragement and then we'll wrap it up with some prayer? Yeah, I think my encouragement would be that um, though marriage and family is challenging, it's not beyond the ability for any of us to accomplish. Uh, It's going to take a lot of hard work. You've got to focus and say, I really want this to happen. But I promise you, if you'll just keep at it and keep working in the marriage and keep trying to be the best mom and dad you can be, when you're 60, 70, 80 years old and you look back at your kids being healthy, your grandkids growing up in a healthy way, you having modeled for them how they should raise their kids, you will say to yourself, Mm. it was worth it. Yeah, that's it. That is it. Well, David, thank you so much. Do you mind saying a prayer for our families? I don't mind at all. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name, I come to you and thank you, first of all, for allowing me to be brought up in a home where mom and dad were faithful to one another and lived in that friendship and agape love. It caught my heart, and I wanted it in my own life and marriage. And so thank you for bringing Marilyn to me at a time in my life when I was lonely and didn't think I would ever find someone, yet you brought her to me almost miraculously. And we have now celebrated almost four decades of marriage. Thank you for her family, Harper and Ann Keith, who now are into their sixth decade of faithfulness, even though Ann Keith is an invalid and Harper is loving her the way my dad loved my mom. So we hope, Lord, that through this podcast with Todd and the way he's living with his Abby and his children, that we are planting seeds of faithfulness in marriage that will bear fruit for many generations to come. And I just pray our listeners will take whatever seed bed of truth out of what we've spoken today and put it into their own hearts and let those hearts mushroom with agape love for Jesus that spills over to their kids, to their grandkids, to future generations. And Lord, in this, you would be very pleased. Thank you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Parent on parents, you got this. Thanks for joining us for the Forest Hill Parenting Podcast, where we want to inspire parents to make faith in Jesus the priority in their families. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you showed your support by sharing, subscribing, and rating this podcast on iTunes. To watch our services live or find the campus nearest you, visit foresthill.org.